And welcome back to another, another edition of the official 615 podcast. So glad you could join us again alongside Greg Pogue. This is Big Joe and excited again, Greg. Another fantastic guest. All credit goes to you for this one. Well, thank you again. We are at... Kitchen Notes in the Omni Nashville Hotel. Todd Rotermel, Music City Todd. Want to thank him and the staff here. And go to the website. They've got all new times for all of their restaurants, Kitchen Notes, Bar Lines, Bob's, yes. and Macara, the spa. So go to that. And then once again, we are recording it and our guests. But first, the benefactors. Yes. Many thanks to Wilson County Hyundai. Payne Bone and his great staff at Wilson County Hyundai. Look, they've been a big supporter of the official 615 podcast from day one. And Wilson County Hyundai, simply outstanding. They are the leaders and customers service. Check them out online at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. Well, our guest is a, a, a true Nashville icon. Howard Gentry currently serves Metro Government of Nashville as a criminal court clerk of Davidson County in the 20th Judicial District, twice elected to three times, rather, elected countywide office Metro Council member at large and the first African-American vice mayor and then was reelected in 2003. And uh, uh, just, uh, of course, the Gentry name, Tennessee State University, yeah. just so many things. And and the best thing about Howard, he's a great guy. He loves this city. He loves TSU, and he's a good friend. Howard, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. I just want to say Merry, uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to, you as well. uh, to all of you and yeah. um, and all the great uh, work you all have been doing around sports for years. You, man, I've been listening to you a long time. Uh, you're too, a good yeah. man. And, and what Greg said, just to follow up on that, I mean, Na your family is so part of Nashville, and Nashville is so part of your family. Just to have to talk to you, even for the today, and see the evolution of Nashville, even in your time that you've been around, I mean, you got to sit back and like, goodness, this is the city that I grew up in, and look at it now. Well, you know, I actually say this, and it, it, it used to sound kind of weird, but it's the truth. And I say I am Nashville. Nashville is me. Uh, we've grown up together. Right. We really have. We really have. I'll, I'll be 70 in a few weeks. And just think, go back Nashville 70 years ago and watch how Nashville has grown, matured. It's gotten better, and I hope the same with me. And uh, the only difference between Nashville is Nashville's getting younger. I'm getting older. And <laughs> I, I, I hadn't quite figured that one out yet. But uh, the fact is that we have grown up together. We've had some rough times, but we've had more great times. You look, but I told you this when Greg was just a few moments ago, you look nowhere near 70. Nowhere well, near 70. I'm going to tell you, and, and uh, one is sounds good. It's, it's the gym. Uh, the other is the genes, <laughs> and the other is young children. Yeah, and 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 not so young now. But they're growing up too. But I have um, uh, generations of daughters from f of forty four to thirteen. Wow! And uh, it has actually helped me continue to stay current. And then now I've got the grandkids, yeah. and I got six of them, and and they're my life. They're my life. And so uh, with that, you know, I've been blessed, and my mother was ninety five when she passed, and. So we have a few genes uh, in me that that could possibly keep me here a few days, but I just try to live live uh, as good as I can, as healthy as I can. So we'll see where that takes me, but I just appreciate the life I've had. Little business, criminal court clerk of Davidson County. What does that mean? That means that <laughs> you're clerking the criminal courts. No, uh, we have almost ninety employees, and our job really statutorily is to keep the records of the courts. And we have records all the way back to the 1800s. And people don't realize that once you come into the criminal court clerks, I mean, to the criminal courts, 
that record stays with you forever. And uh, people don't realize also that if you have a, a record that can be expunged or removed, if you don't ask for it, we can't do it. And so um, we try to inform people of that as much as we can. But we have 18 courts. And so we have clerks in all those courts keeping the record. The record starts once a person is arrested and we have a bond and warrant office that stays open 24 hours. And um, yeah, and once we get going, then we are the hub because that's where the uh, lawyers file all their motions and, and what have you. Uh, we handle the collection of the court's fines and fees. Um, the judges, once they um, pass their judgment, it comes to us and we have to maintain all of that. And uh, those records have to be kept safely. And so it's a huge responsibility. We're a constitutional office. We report to no one. And that doesn't mean that we can just go crazy. Right. But um, <laughs> the fact is that that um, uh, it's like a judge. You know, we don't we don't nobody. They don't want to have our office in a situation where somebody can influence what we do as it relates to records, um, criminal records and what have you. So uh, it, it's um, it, it's a special place and uh, it really does good work. And we don't arrest people. We don't put people in jail. We free people. And once uh, they have paid their debt to society, whatever it is, then it's our job to make sure that they are able to navigate through that system and navigate their way out of the system. And that's where I have the most joy. That's a lot. I mean, that's there's a lot going on with it that job. It is a lot with, with that job. And it doesn't stop um, at 4 o'clock. Right. Uh, we do expungement clinics. We do uh, driver's license clinics. We get people's uh, 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 voting rights reinstated, their driver's license reinstated. Again, our job is to help people comply once they are come out of the courts. With the, the growth of a city like it is, unfortunately, the bad apples grew as well. So I got to think with the growth of the city, you see more, unfortunately, coming through the criminal court. court. You know, it, it's it's kind of funny. Uh, yes, there are, the, the, there's more, but there's less. In other words, there are more people that are court worthy. But now we have so many diversionary systems in place because the majority of the people, 70%, of the people that come through the court system don't really need to come through it. Right. They just fall into it. And so we have diversionary systems where uh, if they've got mental health issues, they, they don't need to be in front of a judge. They need to be take their mental health taken care of. People are homeless. So uh, unfortunately, when you're homeless, it's against the law to sleep on the street. It's against the law to use a restroom on the street. It's against the law to, to, um, to uh, loiter. It's against the law to... To, to beg. And so they're always breaking the law based on what the laws are. Laws are a little tough on homeless people. And so we've got homeless courts now. So if a homeless person does get picked up by the police, they can go before a judge and that judge can stop that action right there and get them into a, 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 a program. We've got domestic violence courts where, where um, the victim's uh, sometimes find themselves um, uh, caught up in the court system when really they're truly the victim. But now we have 
a system in place where the victims are actually cared for and taken care of outside of the court system. So so they're not they don't become victimized more than just the brutality that they face uh, uh, because of domestic violence. And so we move them away from that that system and scene. So there are a lot of reasons that people who come through the courts who have minor uh, cases, mm-hmm. uh, they can get out on their own recognizance, we call it ROR, uh, where uh, pretrial diversion, where they actually divert it from the courts. So that being said, yes, there are a lot more people that are uh, maybe that the police are dealing with but once we get them uh, into uh, the beginning of the system, they're not actually coming into the courtroom. So those numbers are going down. Howard Gentry Jr., our guest, the official 615 podcast, Howard Gentry Jr., Howard Gentry Sr., of course, the Gentry Center at Tennessee State University, uh, your father. And, you're, you know, we say Nashville. We also t- say TSU when you think Gentry, correct? You know, it is correct. And, and like I say, the order I get, the more – I I become appreciative of it, and I understand it, and I'm more honored by it. As I was growing up, you know, it, it's you know, you know, my dad was like this this bigger than life person, but he was more humble than you ever want to see. He's really a family man, but everybody looked at him in such a large way, and it's because he did big things, and big things occurred while he was there. It wasn't just him. It was John Merritt. It was Ed Temple. It was Ed Martin. It was Harold Hunter. I mean, these basketball, uh, baseball, all these, the sports programs, just all of them. McClendon. McClendon, yeah. And, and, but even in, in tennis and everything just flourished. I mean, they just had great athletic programs and, and, and had meager resources. And they were able to take those resources and, and shock the world. And my dad just happened to be, uh, what well, he happened to be, he was hired to be a coach. I was born while he was coaching in, in 1952. Uh, he became head coach, won national championship, and then they wanted to be athletics director and the coach. He said he can't do both of them and do them great. So he became athletics director and hired John Merritt. Boy, how that, that smart. How that worked yeah. And, um, <laughs> And so uh, he was able to, uh, he was a visionary, but he was hired by a visionary, which was Dr. Davis, the president of the university. When he hired my dad, he told him before he hired my dad, he wanted to see TSU play uh, before 50,000 people. He wanted to see TSU not just play against black schools, but he wanted to see them play against white schools too. He didn't want TSU to just have black All-Americans. He wanted to have uh, All-Americans, um, like like the Kodak All-Americans, the Playboy All-Americans, and he wanted TSU to compete at the highest level. My daddy went back to Ohio at that time told my mama, I'm not going there. Fool's crazy. <laughs> and uh, he's in the South. Doesn't he know he's in the South? Yeah. Right. And uh, But he did come. You couldn't, he couldn't pass up that vision. And so in 1956, Orange Blossom Classic against Florida and my dad's old school and his former coach, and 50,000 people. Wow. Half the stadium white, half the stadium black. I still have the real. Wow. I, I can. I have the real. And um, and played against Florida and m won 41-39. Willie Gallimore was running all over the field. He played for the uh, Bears. and But he beat them on a goal line stand. And I think that started his ascension. 
Uh, somebody told him after the game, he said, well, Gentry, there's nowhere for you to go but down now. And uh, <laughs> the fact is he found a way to go up, and that's become AD at TSU and hire great coaches and create a great program, and, and it has a foundation that still can't be cracked. And being his son is an honor. Oh, I'm sure. Does that story work in 2022? It absolutely does. I've seen it happen more than Good. this in 22. It happened again with L.C. Cole. It happened again with, <laughs> excuse me, um, um, uh, Coach Allen. Um, Frankie. Frankie Allen. I, I've seen it trend. It just hasn't been able to be sustained. Right. Uh, it happened. It's happening with Eddie George. It's happening with Penny um, uh, Collins. It's happening. And, and guess where it's been sustainable? Track. You know, Tennessee State's women and men's track has been no joke Correct. for almost 20 years. You know, they've won their share of championships, but they're never at the bottom. They're always consistently there. But I've seen TSU go through a transition. The alumni as a whole, uh, they haven't been able to see it up close over the years that I've seen the ebbs and the flows. And so a lot of them don't understand uh, that the fact is, when you don't get it, that means they're getting it. In other words, when somebody takes you somewhere you've never been before, you don't get it. You have to trust it. And so when L.C. Cole came, when he was interviewed, we knew right then that he could coach. And we knew that he was going to build a, a successful program. I didn't know he was going to win two back-to-back -back OVC championships, but you could see it. What Eddie George did last this past football season, I'll be honest, I maybe I thought we might beat Grambling. You know, we've we've owned Grambling, but we didn't. I was like, oh Lord. <laughs> and then when we lost to Jackson State, you know, I kind of gave that one a bye because uh, um, Dion had a year uh, on Eddie, and Ed had no recruiting, and he showed that he had used that year. But I did not expect these same kids that were struggling to win an OVC game last year to take on the persona of an Eddie George, to, to not give up, to stop quitting, to, to get under control and, and actually um, uh, be more disciplined that quickly, that quickly. It, it just it happened. And so I liken it to the John Merritt. Era. John Merritt won one more game than Eddie his first year. Wow. He won one more. He was six and five. And, and, and then it went 20 years, 19 more years of winning season. L.C. Cole went three and seven his first two years. Or was it three and eight? But the bottom line of uh, four and eight. Wait, it was three. It three was three. Eight. Three and eight. Yeah. His first two years. Eddie George has gone five and six, three and three in OBC. That means something. And that streak he went on, uh, it could have continued if he could have stayed healthy. But maybe not UT Martin. We might not have been UT Martin ready yet or Mississippi State. But the game that I was most impressed, you're not going to agree probably, Greg, but the game <laughs> that I was most impressed. I, I was there, yeah. You were. <laughs> and, and knew that this was the start of a new era was Mississippi State. Those kids did not quit. 
they got broken up. It was like 20 men playing against 80 men. Wow. Because we haven't grown up. We're freshmen, man. We're, we're young. And, and those kids did not quit. And Mississippi State did not put the second string team on in the second half. And guess what? They started punting more. They stopped scoring more, and TSU started scoring, and TSU never stopped bringing it. I stood in the end zone. They walked off that field, and it was like seeing kids walking off a war zone. But they they gave it all they had, Good. and that's where I saw them. Howard Gentry Jr., how many years were you at the AD? Uh, Four. What was it like to sit in that seat where your father had sat? It was amazing. It was amazing. When I got there, we were in a little trouble, and we didn't know it. And uh, we were able to, I had to go to the NCAA in Kansas City at that time and, and plead for us to be able to play uh, postseason uh, play my first months as AD. Uh, thank God that I had administrative um, uh, skills. And, and I had my dad. My dad was still alive. <laughs> he was kind of coaching me. He said, you got to go tell them the truth. So I did. And they gave us a chance. And we were able to get off restricted membership. We won our first OVC men's and women's basketball championship. Had we not gotten off restricted membership, Carlos Rogers probably would have transferred. And he didn't know. Nobody knew it. Right. And the fact is that we did. We won two back-to-back OVC championships, men and women. And, you know, the rest is history. That was a scary part because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I just did what my daddy told me to do. <laughs> and, and I went up there and uh, thank God for the, the respect they had for my dad. Because at the end of the day, it was, it was, a, it was a really a mistake, but it was, it was one that you could forgive or you not forgive, but we had to fix it. And, and, and they told me. At the end, I stayed there all day. And the end, they say, you know, your story is a little strange, but if you have half the integrity that your dad had, he was on the executive committee and, and this person served with him. And if you're half as honest as your dad, then I expect you to go back and fix it. And we're going to take you off restricted membership. That's strong. And they, we did. And they did. So it was, it was great. I enjoyed it. Um, but my dad, right before he died, told me that I didn't have to follow in his footsteps, even though I thought he was crazy. I, I thought that was morphine talking at that time. We laughed about it. But uh, he told me that athletics was – sports was all he had, and he took it to the highest level. He said, son, you have other abilities. You don't have to do it. That never left me. And when I realized that TSU was in good shape, I left. Very good. You're listening to the official 615 podcast brought to you by good friends at Wilson County Hyundai. Customer service is number one for Payne Bone and his staff. You can check them out online simply going to wilsoncountyhyundai.com. And we're back at Kitchen Notes in the Omni Nashville Hotel. Thanks to Music City Todd Rodermel, a friend of yours for many, many years from his days out at Opryland Hotel, but now with the Omni Nashville Hotel. The one thing that I really appreciate and I think people are starting to realize is the diversity of this city. I, I think people have realized it for a long time, but now with the national, uh, the national associate, uh, the national museum of African-American music, it's right across there. Part of that big structure downtown. Tell me though, Jefferson street, I 
have read about it. I've heard about it. You're not that much older than me, uh, Howard, but when I-40 separated, it, it took the heart and soul of a vibrant community and just split it in two. Will it ever come back? And Because I know there's so much emphasis on its revitalization right now. That was uh, a lot, wasn't it? Well, it was. And, <laughs> and, and the ask if it will never come back, will it ever come back? It won't come back to where I remember it, but it will come back. Um, and I need for everyone who is responsible for its coming back to be very, very sensitive to how it comes back. Um, when I grew up, Jefferson Street was everything. Uh, we went to Jefferson Street, the grocery shop, Odie's Market. It wasn't a market. It was a store uh, on the corner of that time, 18th and Jefferson, which is now D.B. Todd in Jefferson. Shoe shop, doctor, dentist, barber, five and dime, drugstore, movies, bakery, flower shops, everything. And, and of course, you had hospital. You had two universities, one anchoring it, one right in the middle of it, and then Mary's Barbecue. And uh, I was too young for R&R liquor store, but a lot of my family wasn't. But uh, the fact <laughs> is that there were so many, uh, and I mentioned those two because they're on the, uh, they're on the Green Book. They're, they're, they're in mm -hmm. the Green Book. And so everything you needed, you, a Saturday morning, was parking your car and walking Jefferson Street. When you came back off that walk, you had everything you needed. Uh, and for the older people, I'm talking about when I was young, they had any kind of club you would want, music uh, venues, anything you wanted. Did I mention movie theater? Ritz movie theater? Um, Fire Hall. I mean, just everything. Well, I'm the just, music scene especially. The music scene was off the charts. And fortunately, I was, it was still there as I was growing up. So I was actually able to, to uh, enter and, and legally go to uh, some of those spots. But skating rink, I'm just, yeah. everything you wanted <laughs> was on Jefferson Street. And it, it was amazing. You know, it had to be amazing for us. And then at the, at the foot of it is Hadley Park, huge swimming pool, community center. Uh, it's just there was nothing that you didn't have on Jefferson. We had to have it that way because of segregation. And you, it's not like you could go up on Charlotte or, or Church Street or Ellison Place and, <laughs> and get it. Right. You couldn't go to Centennial Park and get it. So it was there for us. And, and the fact is, it was there for everybody. And that, that's the neat part about Jefferson. Jefferson Street was not segregated. All these other places were. You could come on Jefferson Street if you wanted to. You'd probably be a little nervous, only because you knew what was happening off Jefferson Street, and you might have felt we were a little mad about that. But we weren't raised that way. We were raised to accept anybody and everybody. And... Um, I'm going back. Gas stations, not just one, two or three. And so the fact is that 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 Jefferson Street, I'll never get him again. I'll never get it again. Uh, we should. We should. But the way that it is being developed now, 
the way that um, uh, that the um, investments are being made into it, it just can't. And maybe that's better. I don't know. Uh, I think if we're all together, it's always better. It's just that as we are building it back, we cannot build it back in a way that does not welcome the community that is surrounding Jefferson Street. And we can't take that community and blow it up either and turn it into something that's not Jefferson Street. I don't want to see people that did not invest their lives in the Jefferson Street area benefit from it and the people who have grown up there and lived there all their lives not be able to afford to. That's just wrong. And so we've just got to be intentional about our zoning, about our, our housing, and, and, and about taking care of the community as Jefferson Street comes back. But they took that interstate state and they cut it through not the heart of the community, but the heart of the people. Part of the people, it, 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 it tore us up. I used to walk my little girlfriend home from Pearl High School and come down D.B. Todd and walk her down the street and turn the corner. Then before I graduated, there was this big, this big gully because the interstate tore it up. So the only way I could walk her home is to go two miles down the Jefferson Street and turn and come two miles back. Yeah, but an extra two miles might have helped you a little bit. <sighs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it didn't. You, you, you know, you, I, I, mm, oh, I could have gone there. Um, the fact is that that two miles actually, it, yeah, it was it was the the fact that I know now because I'm in government and I always heard it, but now I know that it could have gone somewhere else and not affected people as badly. Mm. But it was the convenient thing to do for the powers that be. It, it, it actually, it's upsetting. It's upsetting because it's really not about that. Two miles did help me. That's probably why I ended up captain of the Pearl Heights football team. And we won our first clinic bowl in 1969. But uh, uh, I was in better shape than the kids we played against. They could walk uh, straight down the street and I have to do those four miles. But uh, the fact is that, that it, um, it was... It was intentionally done. I don't think it was done to tear up a community and destroy a community. It was done because it was the easiest thing to do. And it, and it affected a, a group of people that there was least, uh, least concern about. All right. I got to ask you a personal time now, Greg, for me with uh, Mr. Gentry. Uh, I boycott Hall of Fames because Too Tall Jones is not in the Hall of Fame. And, I'm, and Greg knows I'm totally serious about this. You were with him. You saw him. Uh, what was that like? I, I just want to get your perspective of who I think a guy that's larger than life, no pun intended. And in, not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Not only did I know him, we, we were we actually in the same uh, years uh, in college. So same years in high school. I saw him play basketball. Uh, in high school, <clears throat> I met him at Vanderbilt before the game, um, and and uh, of course we were talking smack, and so we weren't <laughs> on real good sides. But and he's a friend of mine. He's a friend. We talk um, quite often, and he's just a good guy. 
Too Tall Jones was not only did I did I know him, I played against him. So I played Florida and him for two years before I got hurt. And um, he was like, you know, there, there's, it's hard to explain how how impossible it is to defend him because you can block him. You can do a great job of getting between him and the quarterback, but you're not going to keep his hands from going right. up <laughs> 10 feet in the air plus yeah. and, and knocking down a ball. You can take him to the ground, but can you keep him from reaching out and grabbing somebody? He was impossible. Plus, he was quick. He was strong. He wasn't like 400-pound lifting strong. He didn't need to be. He was smart, and, and, and he was fast, and he had good hands. He was a basketball player. This guy was, he was impossible. He was impossible to block, impossible to defend against. Of course, they, you know, you can defend against it by running the other way. Right. But, but that, that's not going to work forever. So he's great. He should be in the, the Hall of Fame. I think that the fact that he had the audacity to, to follow his dream and, and go and box and and quit the game um, has rubbed some people the wrong way. But guess what? To show you how great he was, he came back and had his greatest years right. after he left. So, I mean, I don't know how you take that story and not put Hall of Fame uh, uh, adapted to Hall of Fame. They say, well, they weren't keeping up with sacks and it's all that garbage. kind of stuff. You know what? They weren't keeping up with sacks in the in the 50s and the 60s either, and those guys are in the Hall of Fame. And if if Richard Dent says that Too Tall right. Jones should have gone in before him, if yes. Claude Humphrey says he couldn't, he shouldn't have gone in before him because Claude Humphrey was the the GOAT. Uh at defensive end, Tennessee State, and just understand that. And, and we just and, lost to him. Yeah, we did. We did. I was at his funeral. I went to his funeral. He was a good friend. But uh, Richard Dent, will be the, who was at his funeral sitting right next to me, uh, will be the first to tell you he's the GOAT. Um, uh, if if Richard Dent's saying it and Claude Humphrey's saying it, yeah. I mean, what else do you need? Preach. Henry Lawrence. Henry Lawrence. Uh, plays for the uh, play for the Oakland Raiders for four, for fourteen years at at offensive tackle. Um, he played against him in college. He played against him in pro. He still thinks Claude Humphrey was the hardest person to block in his life, uh, in his career. He said, you know, he believes too tall should be there, as Henry Lawrence should be there. I don't get it. I don't get it, but I do have my bags packed for Canton because I believe he's going in. I'm going with you. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm beating that yeah. drum. I'm going with you. He deserves to be there. Yeah. Howard, what, what are you doing five years from now? Visiting the grandkids? You know, have you thought about that? Cause, you know. Because you just told us you're turning 70. I'm going to be honest with you. I was planning to be retired at 70, uh, but I was planning to be retired at 65. <laughs> And and the fact is that um, if I am in the level of health that I am now, 
Uh, that I'm already visiting the grandkids. I got one grandson that plays football and basketball in Cincinnati. I got another grandson that plays uh, at Lipscomb. And, of course, his brother, Alex Broom, the Broom, who's going to Boston College. Um, uh, you know, I got to see all that this year because I retired from broadcasting. And uh, this is my first year in 46 years. I actually have not broadcast except one game. And I've enjoyed the heck out of it. So what I tell my family is they, they come first. And so I just want to be able to, to do what I choose to do. If I choose to work, I'll, I'll work. Hopefully at 75, somebody would have talked me out of working. But, but I want to be able to do whatever I choose to do within the means that I have. Uh, I want to be comfortable. Comfortable is not being wealthy. Comfortable to me is just being able to get up and and and, and move and and do. I, I'm gonna always serve. Um, what keeps me going is serving, and so uh, where that might be a burden on some people, man, y'all. They tell me, man, you're on everybody's board. You're always this place, that place. <laughs> That's, that drives me. That's what I do. I don't need to be thanked. I know that that when I'm out there doing for other people, that they are benefiting from it. And, and that's how I was raised. That's who I am. So that's a lot. But um, I want to continue to be able to go to every Tennessee State football game to have and most basketball games. Um, I, I want to be a sports fan because I'm loving it. And and uh, I'm I'm gonna keep my season tickets for the Titans. I'm gonna keep. I got my soccer tickets now, and I know Predators. You're getting mad at me for not saying I have your tickets, but you got so many darn games. You between you and soccer, <laughs> uh, we're gonna have to figure keep that on one going. out. Yeah, <laughs> but I just want to. I want to be involved in around uh, the things I love the most. I want to stay in Nashville. Good. I love Nashville. I want to be around my family. I want to be around sports. I'm going to support Tennessee State to the day I die because everything I am and everything I become in my life is uh, because of TSU. And so, uh, you know, there are just certain things that I'm going to stay involved in and just do and I'm going to continue to do till I can't do anymore. Beautiful. Howard, thanks for doing this. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Time flies. Hey, man. Love, love you guys and, and love what you do. I love what you do individually and collectively. Thank you, sir. It means okay. a lot. Thank well, you very and, much. Well, and the professional and personal relation that we have going 25 plus years, we've traveled together, we've done things together, and, and you opened up a lot of doors for me. So thank well, you. Thank you, buddy. We never found a phone call that we didn't like. Stay on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk often, but we no, talk yeah, long. Well, yeah, we'll oh, that's good. Thank you, sir. Again, uh, thank you so much, Mr. Gentry. That was the official 615 podcast. A lot of fun today. Uh, good times. Thanks to our friends at Wilson County Hyundai, and of course, Todd Rotermill and the great people at the Omni National Hotel. We'll do it again next week, Greg. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Howard. Thank you.